Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Thank you to our sponsors at Store My Tumor for making our podcast possible. Store My Tumor provides personalized treatment options that help you stay in remission longer. Live tumor preservation, genetic sequencing, sensitivity testing, and cellular immunotherapies are just some of the amazing options available. Thank you for supporting us. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you all this week on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carfing, and if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each week when we come out with a new episode. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. To all of you who tune in every week, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here, and thank you for joining us today. I want to start off with a story. A few weeks ago, I shared a podcast with triple negative breast cancer survivor Chen Chi. The topic of mental health came up. I'm not sure why mental health continues to be a taboo association and stigma. It is getting better, I have to say, but it's still a little questionable, right? We don't go around talking about our mental health, though we have no problem saying if you have the cold or the flu. I want to give a shout out to my friend, Tammy. If you're listening, thank you so much for the support that you've been giving. After I shared on the podcast some insights into my own struggles with mental health, you sent an email just encouraging me and thanking me for sharing such a personal experience with the world. And it really just resonated with me because I realized sometimes that, you know, as a podcaster, I have the opportunity to edit, delete, and change and tweak things that come out when we're having these conversations. And I just wanted to share that even though we have these opportunities to say something and then, you know, pause and realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that on air and the whole world's going to listen to this. Um, you know, it's about being authentic and being yourself and not being ashamed of everything that we're going through. And so I appreciate the support and you sharing that you're really proud of me for sharing information about my mental health. So from that conversation, I am pleased to bring you back onto the podcast in a couple of weeks where we can talk more about the role mental health plays in a breast cancer diagnosis and also catch up because I know that you were diagnosed a couple years ago and I love bringing people on the show to hear what you're doing now, how far you've come, and being an inspiration to all of our listeners. So just a quick shout out to our girl Tammy out in California. In this episode today, I am pleased to have Jeff Norman with us. We crossed paths with Jeff via Twitter and immediately wanted him to submit an article to our cancer blog community. Jeff was diagnosed with a blood cancer, and he started his own blog called It's In My Blood. I'm thrilled to have him on the show today because The focus is not necessarily on our traditional topic of breast cancer, but rather the topic of humor and how humor can help fight cancer. So let me give a little bit of background about Jeff. Jeff is a lawyer by training. He writes, Being a lawyer predisposes one to only seeing the negative out there, a skill which I already possessed in spades. There was but one avenue that seemed to make sense, continued misery. Fortunately, my cancer came along, so it has given me the incentive to do the one thing most lawyers probably would like to do and have come close to qualifying for, writing. When one obsesses daily about the choice of words and the placement of commas, I truly have had the experience of debating the interpretation of an important argument due to a questionable placement of a piece of punctuation, 
writing seemed like a somewhat natural fit. Fortunately for me, one asset that my non-extraordinary background bestowed upon me was humor, the ability to appreciate it and to wield it, sometimes for good, sometimes just to agonize my mother-in-law. I am, in spite of being from West Virginia, Jewish. That experience alone was farcical enough that I could not but help realize how ridiculous so much of my life was and can be. The sheer incredulity with which New Yorkers learn of my Appalachian Jewish upbringing is a constant reminder of how my comical life has always been. As a result, writing about the experiences of my cancer by finding the humor therein has come somewhat naturally to me. Welcome to the conversation. Yeah, so how are you? I'm so glad we're able to connect, and thanks for taking the time to be on our podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I was uh, very um, excited and flattered to be asked. Um, so uh, it's it's my um, it's a thrill for me to to be able to be on it. I've, I've listened to uh, a number of your your podcasts, oh, and I you. think what you're doing is is, is terrific and uh, inspiring and just. Well, wonderful, frankly. I don't know. Uh, thank you so <laughs> I much. With a better than that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we are um, a young but growing and powerful organization. I started survivingbreastcancer.org during my active treatment about two years ago. And it was, you know, at a time incredibly healing for me to put my story out there. And what I was noticing was that it was attracting so many other people to share their stories either in like written form through a community blog that we're developing or through a podcast. And so, you know, after going through active treatment and going back to work full time, you know, you really gain perspective when you're diagnosed with cancer. And so I just realized, you know what, life is way too short. Why not go out and, you know, help the world, help the community and help people who have been diagnosed with a cancer, with cancer, and then also extending that beyond just the patient, but to the caregiver as well. So that's a little bit about us in a nutshell. Yeah, well, like I said, it, it, I think what you're doing is terrific, and um, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan. So I, oh, I thank um, you. was so so thrilled when when William reached out to me. So. Oh, thank you. I'm flattered. So, how long have you been blogging? I would love to hear a little bit more about you. I've read a couple of your blog posts. Um, I know we published one of them. I know we have another one in the queue for later this week. So, but how long has your site been around? I was reading a little bit about your like about page and your background and you know, how you went to law school and now you're practicing law, I assume, still in Long Island? Right, right. Well, I, yeah, my, um, I live on Long Island. I most, uh, but basically it's a suburb of New York okay. uh, City. And, and so most of my clients are in the city. But um, I, I always, I, I work from home most of the time, which I think is facilitated by the fact that Really, most rational people want to spend as little time uh, face-to-face with lawyers as possible. <laughs> so um, they are more than happy just to <laughs> deal with me over the phone or sure. via email or whatever. So I'm able to to work from home, which is great because I have young kids, and so I'm able to adjust my schedule much more easily uh, but I, I do go into the city periodically we, we did we used to have an office in the city but um, we were it was just gathering dust sure. essentially so yeah um, but yeah so I, I, I've been a lawyer for almost almost 20 years it's just hard hard to yeah. hard, hard to believe and, and somewhat hard to digest when I say it so mm-hmm. um, 
anyway, we all make mistakes, I guess. <laughs> but um, uh, but I, I, in terms of the blog, uh, I, I never had any intention of blogging. In, in, in fact, the, the reality of the, of the situation is that um, when I when I was going through chemo uh, last year uh, and building up to that, I had decided that there was so much happening, and I'm, and I'm sure that you, you had similar experiences as does everybody who unfortunately has a cancer diagnosis. Uh, there are so many things happening, and a lot of it, in a sense, is, of course, terrifying, but at the same time, if you could sort of just turn it on its head a little bit, you could see how crazy uh, some of it is. And I had a just sort of my natural inclination to sort of poke fun at, at these frustrations and so forth that I was experiencing. And so I started writing about it, and I, and I would take my laptop every day when I went for chemo infusions. And, um, and I had thought, well, once I'm done with all of this, then I'll uh, put it in book form, and you know I'm sure it'll be a New York Times bestseller because who wouldn't want of to read course. about somebody's yeah. experiences with cancer? And yeah, real uplifting. Then what happened though was I, and I don't know if you had a similar experience, but I really had no sense of how life would be after treatment was over. Mm. I think that I was so focused on just getting through the chemo and you know getting into remission and that, that I had this very naive understanding that once that was done that my life could go back to, to basically its pre-cancerous uh, stage. Yes or state, and that, of course, didn't happen, and, you know, there are all kinds of sort of lingering issues with, you know, having been through chemo and having cancer, and et cetera, and so there was just more material all the time <laughs> to write about, and so I was like, well, I mean, this, this book is going to be never-ending, <laughs> so somebody suggested to me, uh, well, why don't you blog about it, and so I was like, oh, blog. I, I don't know anything. I'm not, not on Facebook. I'm not, you know, I don't know sure. anything. I got Twitter. I don't tweet. So then I gave it some more thought. And one night I said to my wife, Melissa, I said, um, I'm going to start a blog. And she said, okay, that sounds great. And I said, what is a blog, by the way? <laughs> so I really had no idea what I was doing. And I just have been trying to figure it out as I go. And this started basically in few months ago, I guess, in about February, but there's always oh, something year. happening, um, you know, with cancer. So, yes, um, and, absolutely. and since, it, since it's so relentless and never really seems to let go of you, it's always providing me for better uh, or worse with more material to write about. So. Yes, unbelievable. So you just started like in 2019 this year with your blog? Yeah, yeah, I oh, had no, okay. <laughs> no That's I, I'd never read anybody's blog. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like a hypocrite, you know, I'm like, I'm not <laughs> blogging, and I think everybody should read mine, but like, I don't read people's blogs, I mean, now I do. But, right, <laughs> right, no, you're putting your, your information out there and helping so many, that's wonderful. What, do you have, are you just like trying to get your experiences out there and provide humor and great content and information, or do you have like a longer term goal of how you want to develop your, your blog and your site? 
Well, I, I, it's sort of a work in progress, I guess. I, I, like I said, I had originally wanted to sort of capture everything that I had experienced in a book just because, mm. um, well, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm just old and I... <laughs> You know, I, I still believe that. in books, even if I'm if I'm the only person that reads them. So, um, but then, yeah, with the blog, it's just I, I feel like it's a, it's a better way, in a sense, to reach more people in real time, mm-hmm. and and um, it's both cathartic for me because I'm able to. You know, share these experiences that I'm going through, and and I get you know, feedback often uh, from other people who are going through similar things, yes. which is um, quite comforting. And and I don't know, you know, Laura, about your but your your experiences, but I've I've found that having cancer is even with the best support system is a very lonely uh, experience, oftentimes. Yes. And so it's nice to be in touch in real time with with other people who are mm-hmm. going who are going through similar things and you know the cancer that I have isn't curable so unfortunately I, I think I'm probably going to continue to have things to write about oh um, you know indefinitely so well, yeah. hopefully they'll find a cure sometime but oh absolutely that's what we're working towards so if you could back up and let our listeners know if you would like to share a little bit of some background in history in terms of when you were diagnosed, what type of cancer sure. you were diagnosed with, and maybe we'll just like start with that comment right there because I know that's like a heavy um, topic and a lot of detail, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it's funny. When I was listening to your, um, I, I guess, your initial podcast, um, which w- was great and very, very interesting and informative, I, I was sort of struck by, we didn't have exactly the same uh, sort of, discovery of our, our respective cancers, but it was okay. similar. Like I, I had no, I think you, you said, you know, something like, you know, you wanted to go and make sure that you didn't have, you know, cancer. Exactly. And, you know, unfortunately yeah. The peace of mind, right? Yeah. And what happened with me though, was see somewhat even more unsuspecting, you know, I, I, I had just turned 40. So this is, uh, just over six years ago now, and um, because it was a birthday that ended in a zero, I thought it was probably a good time to have a physical. Sure. And I wasn't experiencing any issues. I, I I really had no no indication that anything was awry, and so I went and had a physical, and you know they did the standard lab work, blood work, and. Uh, I got a call a day or so later from my doctor, and he said, well, you know, everything's good except your white cell count is, is a, a little high. Hmm. And um, I have two young children, and at the time, of course, they were six years younger. And so somebody's always sick with something, and, sure. and so my doctor said, yeah, that's probably, it's probably nothing. It's probably just, you know, you got some bug, and maybe you're not even aware of it. And, um, and I, and I, I often wonder how many people, when they're first diagnosed with cancer, part of the lead-up to that is a test result that comes back a little wonky, and um, they're told, oh, it's probably nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but unfortunately, it, it often is not nothing. 
and in my case, it certainly wasn't nothing. They re-ran the tests, and the white cell count was still high, and then they did further tests, and then they concluded after consulting with some hematologists that I had a type of leukemia known as chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which is I think a relatively common leukemia, although I must confess I had never heard of it before. Sure. I feel like we don't um, hear half fact, of these it, terms until we're diagnosed. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I, I, for the first like two years that I was diagnosed, I could never remember if the second word, you know, it's chronic lymphocytic leukemia. I could never remember if it was lymphocytic or lymphocytic. Like I had no idea what, you sure. know, and the people just refer to it as CLL. So I'm like, okay, CLL. Yeah. Um, that just seemed easier. So, um, but it, for some people, it's, I guess, characterized as an indolent cancer in that it really doesn't do much. You know, like you have these abnormal cells and you have a, you know, more of them than you should, or, you, you know, you have these white cells that um, more than you should, but, but they don't really do much. And it doesn't, they often don't present many issues. Um, in my case, they weren't as indolent as I would have liked them to have been. So mm. over the course of about four years, they gradually started uh, increasing. And I, I don't know how many, you know, like what the white blood cell count for an average person should be. I think it's maybe like, I don't know, 6,000 whatevers per whatever. Okay. By the time I finally ended up getting treatment, I was up to 348,000, which... Hmm. Uh, as a lay person, I didn't really know if that was, you know, like something shocking or not, but I right. learned that it was because when I would tell other doctors, like if one time I had to go um, see a gastroenterologist and I, he asked me what my white cell count was and I told him it was like at the time like 200 some thousand and he almost fell off his chair. Wow. So I'm like, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's high. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they, they watched it for you know, sort of creep up for a number of years. And then when it got to, a, a, like I said, around over 300,000, I was experiencing one other issue, sort of really the only physical manifestation of it, which I was aware, which is that um, I was having some trouble swallowing occasionally, and uh, which is, can be important. Of course. And, um, what was going on was that um, one of the lymph nodes in my throat, uh, which is um, actually your lingual tonsil, which I had never heard of lingual tonsils before. The only, the only tonsils I had ever heard of were the ones you know that they used to take out, you know, the, yeah, exactly. yeah, like two sore throats, and, yes. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we're going to take your tonsils yeah. out. Not, it's not those, however. Okay. And um, so, so it, they were really enlarged and. Um, in fact, I, I have a, a horrible story about going to see an ENT and him looking at it and just like scaring me to death. But, oh my gosh! Um, so, 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 so my my oncologist, who's terrific, was very concerned about that. She she was more concerned about that than any other manifestation of mm. the, the cancer. And she, so she said, "Look, we have to we have to treat." So this was uh, about a year and a half ago. So. Like I said, about four and a half years after I was initially diagnosed. And so then I went through uh, six rounds of chemotherapy, which um, I know a 
the different chemos, of course. The one that traditionally had been used for CLL, although it's becoming less and less commonly used, is uh, what they call FCR, which is, uh, I think, fludarabine. <laughs> this, is, this is the real exciting part of the conversation. Fludarabine's um, cytoxin and rituxin, I think, is what oh, okay. it stands for. I think I was on cytoxin also as one of my drugs. I was on five different chemo drugs as my cocktail, and I think cytoxin was one of them. Yeah, I think, yeah, I am. I, I love how there's, uh, I mean, really, they need to do a better job on the marketing front, I think, with the <laughs> chemo drugs, because, I mean, we all know that it, it, it really is poison, but when you put the word toxin just right in the name of it, I yeah. mean, that really does nothing to no, reassure exactly. you. Yeah. I guess that's why they come up with, like, the pharmaceutical names versus the generic names, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, they, they really need to... Um, get their act together, yeah. but um, and plus, you know, I don't. I'm sure you had similar experience. You know, they like hang the the bag on your um, IV stand, and you know, basically, it, it you know, it's, it says oh, yeah. <laughs> essentially, you know, toxic. Handle with care. Oh yeah, the like, like bright oh, yellow bag. Right, plug that right <laughs> into right into my vein. That's going to be terrific. Oh exactly, and everyone's wearing those like heavy duty gloves, and you're just like, okay, wait, but you're putting this like directly into my body. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because the nurses um, at my infusion center were absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, but one of them was actually pregnant, and so they, she, she would help with things, you know, for me, but but never anything that had to do with, you know, touching any of the, um, sure. any of the chemo drugs, with, which yeah. you know. That makes sense. I don't blame her. But, but it just reinforced, like, how, how toxic all this stuff was. Like, yeah. So. Oh, wait, so what happened during this four-year period where you got diagnosed but active treatment yeah. hasn't haven't started yet? Was it, like, did you just get information, like, okay, now I have cancer and go back and continue to live life normally? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, I, my life, you know, of course, was... At least mentally, I was never normal again. I mean, some, some would tell you I've never been normal anyway. But um, what would happen is I I would go. I was in – I always get it backwards. It's either wait and watch or watch and wait. I, I can't remember. Um, but that's like a common um, terminology that's used with CLL. And um, and I think, you know, certain other types of cancers too. But Okay. So, so what would happen is I would – I would go see my oncologist, and they would look at the numbers, and and they would feel my lymph nodes, and you know all that good stuff. And they would say, okay, well, we'll we want to see you again. And um, I think initially it was about six months between visits. Oh wow! And then yeah, and then it, as the, as the numbers, the white cell numbers increased, then the duration between the um, it was an inverse relationship sure. the higher the white cell number the shorter the amount of time between visits yeah. and so yeah I mean it, basically they do nothing mm-hmm. um, and that, you know that's preferable I think I mean having been through chemo and, and you know you obviously yes. too mm-hmm. um, there's nothing pleasant about going through chemo and and they, nobody wants to do it, um, so they put it off as long as possible. The, the one, the one real problem for me, 
is that I think most people who are diagnosed with CLL tend to be significantly or maybe even substantially older than oh, okay. I am. So you know, I was 40 when I was diagnosed, whereas I think a more representative patient would be 60 or 70. Okay. So if you could live for 20 years with it, then that's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if you're 40 and right. they can only keep you alive 20 years, then you know, that's not so great. Yes. So, so it's one of these weird things where being young is actually not helpful. Right, right. And I feel the same way with breast cancer, too. So when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed under 40. Um, and 40 is the threshold when they start actually doing the mammogram screenings, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're just kind of living your life, um, you know, day in and day out with not paying much attention to anything. And then all of a sudden, under 40, being so young, you're diagnosed. And, yeah, sometimes the prognosis is like, okay, that's great to get, like, you know, 10 years, 20 years, but, like, that's still young these days, right? And so I think a lot of studies, too, I'm not sure how it is with CLL and, like, the the chemotherapies you were on or if there's any sort of trials or, you know, like, the advancements in the research for your particular cancer. But I know with breast cancer, it's so interesting because we just don't have enough data long-term or like longitudinal studies of, okay, so what happens after 20 years if we're on these drugs, right? So right. it's it's kind of this like funny limbo because, you know, doctors are really excited if they can buy us a couple months here and there or there's a new breakthrough of something to try, but we don't actually have a lot of information or at least I haven't discovered a lot of information yet on the longer term side effects outside of all of the consent forms I had to sign about, you know, radiation to my heart, radiation on my lungs, like, you know, this is all good and fine if you're like 85, but when you're like 35, it's kind of a shock. Yeah, I I, I don't know if you experience this as well, Laura, but uh, one thing that became fairly quickly, quickly became apparent to me was that as much progress as we've made with cancer, there's still so much that they just don't know. And, and, and when, I, when I finished my chemo, I you know, went back to see my doctor just for a, you know, from my oncologist, just for a post-chemo follow-up or whatever. And we were talking about, well, what if the chemo didn't do ultimately what we hoped, which was to put it, the cancer in remission for an extended period. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, you know, is that that a possibility? And she said, well, it's a low, a low possibility, but it is a possibility. And she said, you know, the reality is, if that's the case, then there's something else going on that we just don't understand. And, you know, cancer's hard enough to deal with when you think you know what you're dealing with, but when it's made clear that there's just a lot of information that we don't have and we don't know how, you know, why certain people react well or don't react well, um, it's, it's very upsetting. And... You know, in terms of data, 
I had to make a decision before I started treatment about whether to go with the chemo that I did opt for, which they have been using for about 20 years to treat CLL. So they had a substantial amount of data on that. But there were uh, some, there fortunately are some much newer drugs that are not actually chemotherapy and show great promise, but to your point, they just, they don't have the data. They don't know, you know, maybe it works great for five years, but what happens after that? We just don't know because the drugs haven't been around that long. Exactly. And um, so we, like I said, my oncologist is great. She's not, you know, I know you have to be an informed patient and, Mm -hmm. and all that, but my doctor did not leave me sort of just hanging in the wind there. She said, listen, this is what I recommend you do. And she you know, didn't force me. She gave me all the options, and she discussed the pros and cons of each. But she said, this is what I, I would do if I were you. And I, and I found that to be extremely helpful. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know some people. Some people don't like their oncologist, and I, I went through several, so yeah. I, I can relate to that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's hard. In fact, I, I, I when I first started blogging, I actually got on Facebook, and I was a member of some Facebook groups, and some of which for cancer mm-hmm. uh, survivors, and including some that were um, focused on you know, the type of cancer I have. And I, I found it a little bit troubling because, and I don't know if you're um, ever you know, perusing these types of you know, so-called support groups or whatever, but sure. uh, there are a lot of people who are quite opinionated. Oh, yes. Um, Everyone has an opinion. And, you know, that, that, it's, it's nice to have your convictions, <laughs> but before you start telling other people that they should never get this treatment or that treatment, you know, maybe you should go to medical school. I mean, that, that's, right. you know, yeah. that's my view. Um, yep. And there were people who were, were saying, you know, you should never get the treatment that I got, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that that's basically, you know, passe. Right. And, um you know, that's upsetting to hear, even though I trusted my doctor. Oh, completely. Um, Yeah. yeah, And that's what I tell people too. Like, you know, I do a lot of advising, just like peer to peer advising. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a doctor, but just like in my profession with the nonprofit, I get emails all the time with newly diagnosed women who are just scared and they just found out this news and they don't know what to do. And it's like, I could at least be a sounding board. You know, I'm not here to give you like advice or tell you what to do, but I'm an unbiased like entity on this other side of a phone, right? We don't know each other. I'm not your doctor. I'm not your husband or spouse or your best friend. Like I'm kind of just like this, I kind of think of it like confession, right? Where you're just like spilling the beans about exactly what you feel. And that's just so comforting that I'm noticing that people just need to like voice it, get it out, and then they can regroup and move forward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, it, it, it was interesting. So, so I, I stopped um, because I, I found that those those groups. It was, it was just a handful. I mean, they're, they're generally very helpful groups. I don't I don't mean to disparage them, but um, but that that for me personally, I found that to be troubling. That that people were basically saying things that I I thought 
were not appropriate. I mean, <laughs> I am a lawyer, so so I, you know, I'm always <laughs> thinking about you know things from somewhat um, un, 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 unintentionally from that standpoint. Yeah. You know, whenever I would post something, I'd be like, well, you know, I'm not a doctor, exactly. and I can only tell you based on my experience. But right, so you have all the like disclaimers but, but the, and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now I got done with all the disclaimers. But I don't know if anybody's still reading it. But um, but when I actually, so I stopped doing those groups because it, it was it was just upsetting me, which is. Yeah. About me, not about them. But um, but then, I, I, interestingly, I actually found on Twitter, which I never thought, uh, like Twitter, I, I don't yeah. want to be on Twitter, but I actually found on Twitter a much different, I don't know, not to sound too casual about it, but a much different vibe, if you will. Like, I, I, I think that I've met a lot of people, you know, met, you know, sure. <laughs> virtually. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be like a, a much more sort of supportive um, atmosphere, at least for me. Yeah. And and um, it's 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 really interesting. And it's but it's good because, to your point, you know, it, it, it you really do need to, to have a sounding board. Mm-hmm. And it's and I I think that you know I'm lucky. I, my wife is a doctor, but you know she's not not an oncologist, but she's a doctor. And you know I have very supportive family broadly yeah. and, and and lots of good friends um, but you know they only they can they can be as empathetic or whatever as 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 they can but until you actually go through it and are living with it it's you right. can't fully relate and right. it's it's lots of times i think it's it's really helpful to have the ability to talk with and hear from other people who are going through it, which is why I think things like you, you know your your podcasts are so valuable because you're you're hearing actual people who are dealing with this, right? And and, and even even with you know, like I said, I love my oncologist. She's one of the most wonderful people in the world. Everybody, I, I think she should teach a, a course on bedside manner, and it should be mandatory for all oncologists oh, sure. because I've, I've had some. I'm like. Are you sure oncology was really the right field for you? But um, right, yeah. No, I totally but, but, agree. Um, but but I think that the you know that the you know for them too, like they they have to, and I, this is I don't mean this as a criticism of them at all, but I think you know there are obviously some oncologists who unfortunately have had cancer themselves, but you know they they're not the ones going through it. And, you know, in in a sense, I think they're they're somewhat necessarily desensitized to everything that you experience with cancer because they're just, they're just constantly, that's all they're dealing with. And if they became invested in everybody's, you know, issue, then there would be no way they could do what they have to do. So, so I think it's as useful and as essential as the doctors are, it's fellow patients, I think, that in some ways provide the most most useful um, resource and support. Yeah, and it's a hard job too. I was talking to some other, um, you know, cancer survivors and thrivers, and they were saying, you know, when you get that phone call, sometimes you hear the words like you have cancer over the phone, um, you know, because you don't want to wait. You're like, okay, why are you calling me back in? Like, what's the news? Just tell me. Um, and the person really articulated it well, just by saying, okay, this might be the first time I'm hearing those words. And I know that you've said this maybe 10 times today to the other people that you had to call, but this is the first time I'm hearing those words. So, like, at least pretend to have empathy, right? Because yeah. they do get yeah. desensitized. Yeah. And, yeah, it's 
it's language that they speak day in and day out and for us it's a foreign language we're scribbling down all of the words trying to do the spelling googling absolutely everything and really understanding why why are we getting a call back why do they want to do more tests and this just happened to me today i think this is quite appropriate if you don't mind me sharing with you i have no please yeah i have um i've been suffering allergies the last two weeks so just like very nasally coughing a lot i feel like I'm still moving forward with the podcast, but there's definitely going to be a period in my recordings where you can tell the difference of my voice where I'm going through, you know, a lot of Sudafed and Claritin versus like my normal chipper self. And so finally I went to the doctors um, earlier this week on Tuesday just to make sure that like it wasn't anything more serious. And I was so proud of myself because it was the first time my brain did not automatically jump to, oh my gosh, the cancer had spread. Oh, it went to my lungs or something like, you know, all that, you know, PTSD associated with such a traumatic diagnosis. I was like, I'm for sure this is allergies, but let me just make sure. So he, um, you know, looks in my throat and ears and eyes and all that good stuff. And then orders some x-rays just to make sure that there's no fluid in my lungs and that we can rule out pneumonia. So I get a phone call today, literally like today, this happened about a couple hours before our, our conversation right now. And he's like, okay, I got the results back from your x-ray. Great news is it's not pneumonia. Though I did see some stuff I didn't like. Can you come back in for more x-rays? And I'm like, what type of phone call is that? Like, you can't just call someone out of the blue telling me, like, you know, like, and of course it's like, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon. I can't get there right away after work. Like, you know, so all of a sudden this is postponed until tomorrow. Now my, like, heart rate and adrenaline is, like, sky high. And you're just like... Really? Like, I know you wanted to, like, get this conversation out and make this phone call so you can say, like, yes, by 5 o'clock I finished, like, my to-do tasks. But as someone on the other end, I'm like, oh, my gosh, now I have, like, all evening to panic and worry about what it is that you didn't like. And at the end of the day, it could be absolutely nothing. But you can just, like, call someone and, like, share this information. But the funny, funny like, joke about this is I was talking to a couple friends um, kind of lamenting, like, oh, my God, they can't just pick up the phone and call me and tell me this, like, out of the blue. And to your lawyer point, my friend was like, oh, absolutely they can, because if they didn't call you and tell you something was wrong, you can sue them. And so I just thought that was, like, a great full circle of, yep, you're right, I guess they did have to tell me something was wrong or that they wanted to do a more thorough test. Um, but to talk to people, though, who've also gone through similar experiences like us, I immediately then called one of my breast cancer survivor friends just saying, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing like major anxiety right now. I'm getting a call back for an x-ray. Um, and I wasn't even expecting it to escalate to that point. And, you know, for better or worse, she's like, oh, that happens to me all the time. You know, since we had reconstruction, there's extra scar tissue because we had radiation. Right. There might be problems with our heart. Like there's so many other issues besides cancer, Laura, like I'm sure you're fine. And it was like, interestingly, like, oh, phew, at least it's just, like, heart failure compared to, like, cancer or something. But, like, you know, just having those conversations with other people who've gone through similar experiences and knowing that how you started off the conversation, yes, we went through, you know, a terrible time with the chemotherapies and the drugs that we were on, but there is going to now be this continuous living with cancer, like, phase where, you know, every little checkup or something with the doctors is going to spawn just more investigation, and that's just how it is, I think. Yeah, well, for, 
first, I'm, I'm sorry that the, yeah you had to you have to deal with this, but uh, and I can unfortunately relate um, to that. Well, one time I had a call. <laughs> I, I had gone to see um, my dermatologist just for you know like a, you know my semi-annual skin check, which I'm more prone, I guess, because of the COL to skin mm. cancer. I mean, it's like you know isn't enough enough, but right. anyway. Um, so I had had this um, growth on my arm, and it didn't bother me at all. It, looked, it sort of looked like a bug bite, but it didn't itch or anything. And so I go to the doctor, and I, and I dermatologist is great too. And and anyway, I show it to her, and she looks at it, and you know they get out their like little monocle, like you know, exactly. thing, like a super bright light, and and she looks at it, and she's like, hmm. I don't know what that is. I'm like, oh my god. Really? So anyway, I think derm- yeah, dermatologists, you know, they just love to biopsy everything. So, so she you know, takes a sliver of it. And anyway, long story short, she she calls me like a day or two later and and says, Hi, it's Doctor So and So and I said, Hello and she said, Um, what's the name of your oncologist? And I <gasps> Oh my God, you know <laughs> no no there's no no good conversation, you know. Right. Uh, um, that well, frankly, I don't think you can use the word oncologist or oncology in a positive <laughs> context. I just think that's just um, grammatically right. impossible. Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's no there's no good you know discussion of oncology. Just like cancer, like there's no there's right. no good use of cancer. No. So, um, oh. yeah, but I've had a number of those those, those calls and. Um, so did that end up just being a scare for you, or was it? Did it end up turning into something that needed to be treated and addressed? Well, um, it, it it you know it's funny because in the, in the long run it probably actually did not need to be dealt with, but mm-hmm. this was before um, it was clear that I was going to need chemo. Mm. The chemo it, basically what it, what it turned out to be was just a whole bunch of. Um, of these useless white blood cells, these lymphocytes, and they decided just to like you know hang out um, mm. you know, on 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 my bicep, and oh. so that that's all it was. They weren't really doing anything. They they weren't uh, particularly problematic, it, but the chemo would have probably gotten rid of them eventually. Okay. But at the time we didn't know, so they had to rem- they removed it. I, I don't know what would have happened if they didn't remove it, but sure, you know. You know. Um, I'm, I'm also, I have to say, like, I'm, I'm probably, perhaps unlike you, probably one of the worst informed cancer patients of all time. Oh, no, um, I don't be- believe that, really? Be- because, yeah, I got, well, I never go, I never Google anything. Oh. Because, okay. because, I, well, I did that one time, and, and it took me about three weeks to get back to, like, where I was relatively sane afterwards, <laughs> and... The, the issue I always have with that is there's so many, you know, variables associated with any diagnosis that as sort of a lay person, it was hard for me to know if what I was reading was applicable or not applicable. And, sure. and plus, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my wife, even though she's not an oncologist, she is a doctor. So she has a much better general understanding of these things so so if I have questions I ask her or if she doesn't know the answer you know she has many friends who are oncologists or whatever so she she asks them Um, 
but but I'm yeah I'm just terrified about finding information that um, is not relevant to me. But I'm not it's not clear to me that it's not relevant. Sure. And I'm you know you know one of my top skills is worrying, and so I really don't need any extra ammunition in that regard. <laughs> so I try sure. to stay away from um, yeah. finding out you know <laughs> things oh, exactly. that I, that aren't really helpful. But, yes. I know there's so many... Well, which is not to say that one shouldn't be a well-informed patient because obviously one should be and you have to be your own advocate and all that. But. Right, right. No, and of course, you're right. Like, it's very easy to go down this, like, click rabbit hole of, like, oh, my gosh, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, and you're diagnos- right. self-diagnosing yourself with a frenzy of non-applicable things. So I I hear the the balance, right? It could be either Google everything or absolutely nothing. There's really, you know... There's really no gray area there. Right. I, I think, you know, if you're an intelligent and well-informed person like, like you are and, and you know enough to know what you're looking for and what's uh, relevant to you and, and what's applicable to your situation, then I think it, it, it's a little bit of a different story. Yeah. I just never – frankly, I felt so overwhelmed you know, at the beginning that I was uh, – largely somewhat immobilized and because my wife um is not like that you know she was able to like take charge and do everything so i I was sort of spoiled in a sense Mm -hmm. you know to the extent that anybody that has cancer is spoiled yeah Um, but (laughs) how did you end up telling your wife that you had this cll um like leukemia did she go with you to the doctor's appointments initially or how did how did you have those conversations Funny, she actually is the one that told me because oh, what okay. happened was, yeah, what happened was, and I, and I'm sure this is not a HIPAA violation, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, there's the lawyer me again. But exactly. um, what happened was, the doctor who, you know, my primary care doctor who initially ran the blood tests and then reran them when he didn't like the results is a family friend, okay. and and so what what happened was when they ran the blood test the second time and they came back, you know, not good. Um, I don't remember exactly if he actually called my wife directly or he called me or, and I said, talk to Melissa, something like that. But basically I, I, I knew it wasn't good. I essentially just said, you, you must you, you you talk to the doctor because right. I don't I don't want to like, yeah. like and then I went and like hid in the bathroom or something, sure. Um, sure. which really wasn't helpful. Um, so that that's she found out first, but I, I also again I'm, I'm lucky because you know I have somebody that is you know, used to dealing with things of this you know nature broadly, yes. mm-hmm. and so she was able to approach it. You know, like a doctor would. Exactly. That's not always, you know, the best thing, you know, but um, by and large, it is. And it's funny, too, because um, even when we, let's say, take our our kids to the pediatrician, you know, the pediatrician knows that my wife's a doctor. So even though I'm in the room, (laughs) I might as well not be in the room because, you know, the doctors, you know, the pediatrician will just talk to my wife, you know, if it's anything, you know, Right. Medically, you know, because, you know, why, why bother with this 
this, this lay yeah. person here. You know, and that's before they realize I'm a lawyer and they definitely don't want to talk to me. Right, so, right, um, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, it's um, yeah. I'm somewhat superfluous. Oh, no, it's not true. I mean, it's, they have their own language and, you know, I think it's, it's helpful and that you're really fortunate to be able to have, you know, your wife build some of those questions for you and kind of be at the forefront. William was kind of like my shield in that regard too, when it came to managing like family relationships or even mm. friend relationships when I would just get too tired, but I'm so bad at saying like, no, or, oh, please go home. I have to go to sleep now. Or, you know, I still wanted to live my normal active life, not realizing how fatigued and exhausted I constantly was. So it was nice having this other person kind of take the brunt of that responsibility off of my plate and then really allowing me to like, you know, give me the information when I needed it and allow me to like rest and heal when I was going through the treatment too. So it sounds like she was a great yeah. caregiver in that respect. Yeah. Well, and, and I, occasionally I meet people who really have, have no one, unfortunately, um, to help them through it. And I just feel so bad for them because it, it's just, even with the best support system in the world, it's just so overwhelming. It is. And to, to have to face it all on one's own, um, I, I just, I, it's almost more than I can, can, can contemplate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things yeah. we're looking to expand. Right now our focus is specifically on breast cancer, but after, you know, we've been kind of toying around with the idea too of expanding to other cancers, like once we have our platform and model like confirmed, then after spending the week with Relay for Life, which supports all sorts of cancers, you know, we really got exposure to, you know, a whole new side of oncology. And, you know, it's really inspiring. And then to have, like, conversations with you tonight, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to provide support, whether it's virtually, through podcasting, through in-person meet and greets and bringing people together. And one of the things that I love doing is like being that connector, right? Like I get to talk and have such amazing conversations with people and then to say, oh my gosh, like Jeff, did you know there was this like other person who lives out in like Southern California who experienced something similar? Like you guys should connect and have these like great rich conversations. And so that's something I really do hope to develop and grow because it is hard, it's challenging, it's overwhelming. And you're right. like. You know, there's a lot of places in rural America, too, where they don't have access to information, access to resources. And, you know, if you're not, like, advocating for yourself or having a good support system, also know someone who's gone through it, it can be very isolating. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I, I think that's, that's a terrific, and I'm very glad to hear that you're contemplating expanding um, um, your, yeah. your cancer universe, uh, <laughs> because unfortunately there, there are so many different kinds. Um, but yeah, you know, one, one thing that I, you know, so, um, as we're sort of talking about the, you know, at the outset with William and so I, you know, I grew up in West Virginia, which is obviously mm. quite rural. And of course, you know, I basically went from one extreme to the other. So I went from yeah. one of the most rural states to, you know, the most you know, densely populated mm. part of the country. But, um, but I, I've met people, you know, since I've had cancer, and, and particularly in the last year or so, and I feel really bad for a lot of them because if they are in a an area that is underserved, mm -hmm. uh, that they 
there might be an oncologist nearby, but that person is a general oncologist, which, you know, depending on how progressed their cancer is, is may be okay, but um, a lot yeah. of times, you know, it, there's just so much to know, mm-hmm. even though, like I said, we know so little, but there's still so much to know that, you know, you can't expect a, a general oncologist in, in the middle of, of, right. of wherever to, to be an expert in, you know, the, your type of cancer necessarily, and, um, and sometimes I, I, I feel bad for those people because I think, you know, and so what I would always say to them is you really, you know, if you can, you should try to at least once go see an expert and, you know, right. like for me, a COL, go see a COL expert. And, you know, maybe maybe you'll find out you don't need to see um, a COL expert, you know, with any regularity, maybe a regular oncologist is, is adequate for, for you at this point. But, right. you know, at least find out because you don't want to miss out on something that could be really important and well not to overstate it but yeah. frankly life-saving exactly. because you just weren't you know in proximity to somebody who knows what you know the yeah. latest thinking so exactly and it's also being open to the information too i you know i find myself sometimes almost overwhelmed myself by sharing information so as you point out, like I love researching. I love reading this stuff. I love learning as much as I can about it. And then trying to translate that into layman's terms so it can be disseminated to like anybody, right? Like you can pick up a brochure or a flyer or read a blog and understand what's happening. But then there's also people too like that don't really want to know, right? Like I think we have to also be accepting and empathetic versus sympathetic in terms of people's situations right and it's a hard balance yeah i mean i i um <laughs> i know i said you know i'm like the, the the worst uh at least knowledgeable cancer patient of all time but <laughs> i know i was somewhat joking i, I you know it, yeah it, but but there are, but yeah i have come across people who really um really want to bury their head in the sand and you know what can you say I mean it's their prerogative I guess but um and and I don't know if you know in in your in all your experiences if if you come across but you know know, sometimes we'll come across people who you know they've heard you know they basically are their their option pretty much is is chemo Mm -hmm. and they've heard you know terrible things about it which are well, frankly, yeah, probably true, but, true. Yeah. but, um, and they just, they just don't want to do it. And, right. but, but, you know, they don't really have another you know, option. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't, um, unconventional treatments that might be helpful for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, personally, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, if you want to drink green tea, you know, go for it. But right. you know, yeah. I don't think you should drink green tea and not go for chemo. I mean, you know, that, exactly. that, I mean, that's just my, my view, but, um, but yeah, you, you, I, sometimes these people just don't want to, to deal with it. And right. uh, I feel bad because the problem is not going to go away just by ignoring it. Exactly. Yeah. William was always so funny telling me like, cause I had moments too, especially right before 
getting my port placed and starting chemotherapy, like that's really when the reality set in. You're like, oh my gosh, like today's the day that I am choosing to put these very toxic chemicals in my body that are long-term going to, like at a very short time period even, my doctor was like, are you pregnant? I'm like, no. Are you planning on getting pregnant? I'm like, well, I'm not sure. I just found out I had cancer, right? And then, you know, all of a sudden talking about like fertility or, you know, harvesting of eggs and you're like, well, I don't know. You just told me I had cancer. So I'm not sure if I want to put all these hormones in my body right now to like buy time and potentially expedite the growth of my cancer. Like it was so overwhelming and how quickly it can change your life with with something as serious as chemotherapy. Um, I definitely found myself reading, I don't even know what type of news, but just like all of the propaganda on, you know, like how the drug companies are like out to get us and chemotherapy isn't necessary and there's all oh, these yeah. natural ways of, of curing cancer. And William would jokingly tell me like, you're more than welcome to do that. I will support you. But honestly, like the alternative is worse. Like you know, get chemo and have an opportunity to live longer or choose to not go the traditional route. And, you know, it's, it's a hard choice to make and it's a very personal choice. Yeah. I, I um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you had a similar, um, experience, but, um, I actually well, I had a phone call earlier today with somebody. They were asking me questions about, um, a, a lot of, some of the drugs that I had to take as part of the chemo. And anyway, um, they asked me, they said, well, well, before you started chemo, were you, did anybody talk to you about the potential side effects? I'm like, oh my God, I mean, did the people, I mean, the people never stopped talking exactly. to me about all the pages side effects. And well, first it was my regular doctor, then my, you know, and um, then I had to go for an education session, which was like one of the most disappointing um, dispiriting things I ever had to, <laughs> to yeah. sit through, and um, you know, basically, you know, when, when they by the time they got done with you know listing all of the possible things that could go wrong, you're thinking, well, is there any chance I'm going to survive this? And but, right. but um, but my favorite side effect um, of all was that. Um, Wait, you had a favorite side effect? Yeah, I have a favorite side oh effect. Oh my god, tell me that, this. Um, what did you say? Tell me this. Oh my god, I've never heard this. Yeah, you know, my favorite side. Well, I have a couple of them, but 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 my my most favorite had to be that um, that the chemo could cause leukemia, which you know I already have leukemia, <laughs> and I just really felt like it would be a complete waste of time and resources, you know, to give oh myself my leukemia from chemo since I already had it. Right. So I mean, we could just really cut out the middleman here, right? If You're that's, like, that's going to be done. the end result. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. Oh my gosh! But, but, but yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the printouts. I don't know if you were given, but like I was just given these like printouts for each of the three um, drugs that yeah. I was going to be given, you know, primary drugs that I was going to be given, and like the list of side effects was just so long. And then they had like these like these percentages, like you know, mm. the likelihood of, of getting any of these things, right. which I. I guess it's somewhat reassuring. It's like, well, somebody's studying this at least, but right. but it was a little bit overwhelming. And then, um, you know, but then there would be things like, um, you know, one one of the side effects could be unusual bleeding. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I 
I don't normally bleed, you know, period. Right, so, you right. know, any bleeding that I'm, I'm going to be experiencing, I, I would characterize as unusual. Yeah, it's not you part know, of I your mean, day-to-day, I, I, Jeff. <laughs> what would you say? It's not part of your day-to-day. <laughs> no, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not the most, you know, um, agile person in the world, but I'm not usually bumping into things and, you know, causing right. open wounds. Totally. And, um, yeah, but they were all, you know, and then, well, not not to get overly graphic about it, but then, you know, the same drugs that can cause, you know, constipation can also cause, you know, diarrhea, which I thought, well, how can that be? I mean, that's like just one or the other. I mean, come on, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just crazy. Oh, absolutely. I know. And then to counter all of the side effects, I feel like I had a medicine cabinet with all of like the other over-the-counter drugs and remedies too for like dry eyes or mouth sores or, yeah, like any digestive issues, like it was drugs upon drugs upon drugs. It was a lot. Oh yeah, I mean the 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 drugs that I was prescribed before starting chemo. I mean that that alone is just enough to make just terrify you because it's like, mm-hmm. well, wait, I don't even know what. How am I gonna How am I gonna know when to take all these stupid pills? Oh yeah, and and then I I had a. Um, I don't. I don't want to to disparage the healthcare system, such as it, as it is, um, unnecessarily. But you know, there's a lot of well, human element to it, if you will. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of miscommunications, and that, that's you know why I think it's so important that somebody actually does do things like you do, which is you know research stuff. But anyway, before I started the chemo. I actually had my my my, my COL specialist who I see regularly, you know, mm-hmm. normally treats me. I did not have her do my uh, oversee my chemo only because there was a general oncologist who um, my wife works with and who was much closer. So it was purely a sure. convenience factor. But 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 anyway, and he's a great doctor too. But anyway, um, so I go on and meet with him, and, and then. The next day, I get a call from his nurse saying that before we, you begin the chemo, we're, we need to hospitalize you. What? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And they said, well, you know, you have such a high white cell count that there's a risk of tumor lysis, which is something else I've never heard of. Huh. Um, and so they said, well, you know, we're not going to give you the, you know, chemo because just the risk of this and so in order to make you know to guard against that we're going to hospitalize you and I'm like well you know I'm no expert but I think you know the last thing when you're immunosuppressed you don't want to be in the hospital anymore you know (laughs) like that's like the last place you want to be so I'm like well I, I, nobody, nobody ever told me this. The doctor didn't tell me this, mm-hmm. and then you know, then it took them like three days to straighten out. Like, oh, okay, no, you don't have to do that. But right. you know, it's like that kind of crazy stuff. I'm like, if I hadn't made a made a fuss about it, like I would have been hospitalized. For, oh, sure, know. exactly, yeah. Oh, I know. You definitely have to ask questions and like keep asking pointed questions because, yeah. I mean, even today too, when I was getting the chest X-rays, I was. I, I don't think I'm satisfied with the response, and sometimes I'm caught off guard. 
But I was like, how is this different than a mammogram? And she's like talking about tissue and versus like seeing the bones and the heart. And, you know, I was just trying to like pick her brain a little bit more as to like why I needed a second x-ray versus, you know, luckily they didn't put me in through like a CT scan that would have like set up more alarms. But yeah. you think that I would have had enough like x-rays in various forms over the last two years that my charts probably have enough images that you can compare and you know, pre and post pictures pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. They could, yeah. They could reconstruct your whole body. From exactly. The, from the exactly. Pre, yeah. So, um, I don't know, but it's but, not a but perfect it was the, science. It was the ENT, the ENT that ordered the mm -hmm. additional x-rays? Um, you know, I, no, it was my doctor actually. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I'll keep you posted once I hear more. Hopefully it's just yeah, know, nothing do. and no, we can I, um, rule out bronchitis or something. <laughs> Um, so what's what's next for you in terms of like treatment plans or next phase? Is it still a lot that like wait and see type of phase now that you're done with your chemotherapy? Yeah, so now I'm basically back to waiting again, and uh, it just just so happened yesterday was my quarterly um, follow up with my um, CL specialist, and it was you know and I imagine when you go through this too, you know. I, I, I don't, I don't, I know there's the term scan, scan anxiety, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which I feel like is such a tongue twister for me. I don't know, maybe <laughs> it's my, my, my poor Appalachian sure. uh, addiction, but, um, but uh, I don't know if there, cause I don't get scans. I just get blood work. So I don't know if there's a, you know, oh, like there, there needs to be like a, there needs to be a, a corresponding term. Yeah, yeah, there is. You should invent one. Yeah. Well, that's, I do like to come up with. Um, with with words that I think people should know, and mm -hmm. that's you know like one of my favorite things to to blog about is you know yeah. things that you should say, things that you shouldn't say, and I get mm -hmm. all kinds of like suggestions from <laughs> from people, and yeah. and uh, I get a lot I get a lot of inspiration, frankly, from like um, family and friends who are well intentioned but say things I'm like yep. yeah that that no nobody wants to hear that but anyway right um, exactly. But so yeah, I, but it doesn't get any easier in my experience. I don't I don't know for you. I mean, like right. each 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 visit is um, maybe it shouldn't be, but is just as in a lot of ways nerve wracking as every other visit. Mm -hmm. And where I am now is I'm basically in entering the second year of a two year period post culmination of chemo to essentially determine whether the chemo did what they hoped it would do. Okay. Like, so, so, so far the numbers are good they're where they want them to be. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it, it apparently takes two years before they can, I guess, conclusively determine that the chemo did what it was supposed wow. to do. Which, frankly, nobody told me. <laughs> nobody told me that before the chemo. Now, I wouldn't have done anything. I didn't really have a lot of choices. I wouldn't have done anything differently anyway. But right. it's like, I was. You can imagine, I was not very happy when I went for my first post chemo visit, and I was told this. I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, like, sometimes yeah, you like, wait like, a couple now, weeks. Now I gotta wait two more years. Yeah. So it's. Um, yeah. But but fortunately, I was able to. Um, stretch out where, like I said, I haven't been going quarterly. Now I'm able to stretch it out to 
once um, now I'm on the trimester system. Sure. So um, um, now now I only have to go four months until the next visit, which is okay. You know. Yeah, that's that's a good sign. The less trips to the doctors, the better. Yeah, well, I said to my doctor, I said, you know, I love seeing you. You're a wonderful person, but the less I see you, the happier I am. Right, well said, for sure. Excellent. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to read more about your blogs or follow you and like learn more about your story as you continue to have this abundance of content that you're writing about? Um, yeah, well, um, well, so my blog is... Um, Easily accessible, um, especially now since you don't even have to type www um, right. anymore. I, I just learned that. I didn't know that you <laughs> don't need to type that. But um, so, but my blog, um, the site is it's in my blood dot blog. Um, okay. No, no apostrophes or anything. And you know, it's a little bit of a sort of play on words because I've um, obviously it's blood cancer, but um, but mm-hmm. dealing with situations in life with humor has um, been one thing that fortunately I've always been able to do. So I, so that was in my blood. So anyway, that's, yeah. that's, um, that's the site. It's in my blood blog. And, um, you know, people, if they want to reach, they, they can always reach me through the website, through the, through the blog site, but, um, people can email me. It's just Jeff Nerman at hotmail.com. I'm very good at, um, responding to email. Um, Perfect. That's one of the things, you know, when you've been a corporate lawyer for a long time, you, you learn to check your email <laughs> um, compulsively. Sure, sure. Probably not generally a good thing, but, you know, when, um, yeah. but it's good when it comes to something like this where maybe, you know, somebody, I could be of some help to somebody, then then Absolutely. it's a good thing. When it's, when it's a client bothering me about something, that's not such a good right, thing. Right, exactly. Well, I will definitely keep that in mind, too, as I continue to you know, expand the work that we're doing in the cancer community. And as we continue to have more conversations with anyone who's been diagnosed with any type of cancer or, you know, oncologist, I think that's the other piece too, is like we really try to be that bridge between like the patient and the person diagnosed and also the healthcare community. Because just even in this conversation tonight, I feel like we have so many more questions that we need answers to. And any moment and opportunity that I have to have a professional or oncologist or doctor on the podcast, it gives us an opportunity to really, you know, take off the veil and kind of get a sneak peek and behind the scenes of, you know, how, how are people trained in bedside manner? Or, you know, why do you leave these, these, this type of news on a voicemail? Or, you know, what's really happening when you do want to call back, right? And really just kind of debunking some of the fear and anxiety around a cancer diagnosis. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us and, you know, really open up about a lot of, you know, vulnerabilities going back six years from your first diagnosis to where you are today and, you know, the love you have for your family and life and everything that you're doing right now. So I appreciate that. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for um, having me on. And if I can be of any help in any way, you know, with anything, I, I would, I would love to to be uh, you know, yeah. involved. So absolutely, don't don't hesitate to reach out. I will, and I will keep you posted too. I we have um one of the programs that we run is a speakers bureau, and we have an event happening September sixteenth. It's a Monday in Manhattan, and. I have to get the coordinates. I forget exactly where in Manhattan it is. I, I know it's a big place. But it's, I got to double check to see if it's open to the public. We got invited to speak 
at a group um, with like social workers and various doctors and I'm unable to attend, but somebody who's on our speakers bureau is giving a presentation about her breast cancer experience, but then also talking about the power of art and healing. And I think you would really enjoy, um, you know, if I, once I confirm that it is open to the public, attending because she does this really great presentation about beauty and how everyone sees images and photographs and paintings differently. Right. And so some of us like we're conditioned to think that like, you know, Rembrandt's or Picasso's are like beautiful and, and renowned because they are and they're famous artists. But when you put two side by side, you know, you might have a preference that one is prettier or more attractive or more appealing to you. And so she does this great conversation about, you know, how finding beauty in the day and finding beauty through art really helps with the healing of a cancer diagnosis. So I'll keep you posted on that because that will be in like the, the Manhattan area, if that's close to you. Oh yeah, that, that'd be great, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I'll keep you Well, and if, if you ever need people to, um, you know, like I said, sh share their experiences, you know, with, well, my own little corner of the cancer world, I'm, yes. I'm always happy to do that too, so. Awesome, I will definitely sign you up and take you up on that. I, um, I'm trying to think of like a catchy name or title or like, you know, I was, someone was mentioning like, you have like, what the AA groups and they all have like sponsors. Like if you're trying to like cut back on drinking and all that, you're like, Oh, I have to talk to my sponsor today or I have meetings with a the sponsor. They're like, Laura, you should really develop like a breast cancer or a cancer sponsor. And I'm like, well, we're very different than AA. I'm not so sure I like that term, but right, yeah. um, if you have any catchy terms, like, I don't know, like maybe like cancer mentor or some sort of, yeah, just like having people being able to have that like person's cell number or like at a drop of a happy, like, Oh my gosh. Like, for me today, when I got this call back, I had this one woman out in Portland, Oregon, that I just met over the weekend, and I was like, oh, girl, you won't believe what just happened to me. And we just exchanged, like, a couple quick text messages, and that's all I needed, right, to, like, take a deep breath and, and not be so much, so, so anxious about a situation. So I will, I'll take you up on that. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, have a wonderful night. I am definitely in the process yeah. right now of queuing up a ton of podcasts this summer for because I know um breast cancer awareness month for us is October and so September and October are in like our busiest season for the nonprofit. So my goal is to do a ton of recordings and have wonderful conversations with people and then do all the editing so that way over the next like fall semester or like yeah, fall into like November, December every week a new podcast can be rolling out. So all of that to say, yours is in the queue and I will definitely send you an email before it debuts and gets sent out. It'll be published on iTunes, on um, SoundCloud, on our website, and also re sent out to all of our social media outlets and our newsletter. So it has quite a reach, which is awesome. And I'm sure people are going to listen to it, feel inspired. I think it'll be great to as we're now starting to open up the, the conversation to not just breast cancer conversations, but cancer conversations in general. So this is wonderful. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's terrific. That's terrific. Super. Awesome. Well, have a great night, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Okay. Well, I, I have a good night, too. Hopefully, hopefully you'll hear something um, yes. you know, reassuring tomorrow. Oh, I hope so. I'll keep you posted. Thank you. Yes, please do. Yeah, I will do. Thank you. Have a great night. All right. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Chef, thank you so much for being on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I wasn't really sure what to expect, to be quite honest, and I loved that we were able to commiserate on all of the funny things that people say to cancer patients, on chemotherapy and the ridiculousness that we go through. I am so glad that you're able to share your story with our listeners and your blog on our community blog post. And if you're listening, I really hope you check out Jeff's blog called In My Blood. He has a great sense of humor, is constantly writing and publishing, and a great person to meet. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll chat soon. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.